Before I start the show, I want to talk about StarStock. The site has now launched in beta, and you can deposit, purchase cards, view your collection, and flip those cards in the marketplace with more being built. StarStock is building a sports card marketplace aimed to be faster and cheaper for flipping sports cards than any other platform. They're currently looking for people who want to submit their cards to sell on the platform. Here's what they're offering. A 5% commission, no ingestion fees, you send in your cards and they do all the work. The cards are guaranteed and secured in a vault, and you can choose to ship your cards back at any time. You can buy, flip, or store cards with a click of a button. If you're interested in getting involved as a seller, contact Mike at Mike at Starstock.com. Starstock is only looking for rookie cards and prospects of current players. For more details, contact Mike at Starstock.com. And let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. One of the things I love most about doing this show is the conversations I get to have with a wide range of collectors. Some of them have been collectors a long time, some of them are newer to the hobby, some like to buy and sell, and some are just pure collectors. Well, today I've got another interview with somebody who is a pretty new voice in the hobby, and it's Ronnie Barda. He's a professional poker player, he's won a World Series of Poker bracelet, he's also been a contestant on Survivor. And he is a card collector, and he's collected at a varying level of intensity over his lifetime. And we get to talk a little bit about that, what he likes about collecting, what his some of his favorite cards are to collect, and about some of the other things that he's done in his life. So I hope you enjoy getting a chance to hear from a fresh voice in the hobby. We'll get to that conversation with Ronnie right after I tell you about one of my sponsors. Have you heard of Underdog Collectibles? They're a new shop in Knoxville, Tennessee, but they're available to you everywhere through their website, udogcollect.com. You can join them this week as they break Bowman Baseball, Mosaic Basketball, and some other new products. Don't forget to use the code WAXPACKHERO for $5 off your first break of $20 or more. Today, we've got another guest on the line. We have Ronnie Barda. Ronnie is a professional poker player. He has been a contestant on Survivor, but he is also a sports card collector. And so we're going to talk to him a little bit about probably all three of those things. Ronnie, welcome to the show. Why don't we just start with a little bit of your background and you know what you've been up to and how and when you got into cards and kind of what's your collecting story? Sure. Um, my name is Ronnie Barda, as you guys, uh, as you know, and um, I was born and raised in Brockton, Massachusetts. It's a town about 15 minutes south, 20 minutes south of Boston, um, inner city. Um, you know, I basically I have the same story as like 90% of collectors my age, right? The, the big card boom, baseball card and sports cards boom in the uh, early 90s, late 80s. Um, for me, the first time I got really interested in the cards is seeing the David Robinson Hoops 89 rookie card. Uh-huh. Which I never can, I never got my hands on. Never could get one. I might as well just probably buy one now. I still don't have the card. Um, but because I started collecting in 1990 or 91, and even that like one or year, two year gap, I remember looking in the Beckett and it was like thirty dollars, and I was like, that's a lot of money. Like, how am I gonna afford this card? You know. So I had all the 90s hoops, which you know, they made millions of millions of millions of hoops. Uh, 90s hoops was like the first set I made. 
Um, and then, you know, the 89 Upper Deck Griffey Rookie, I finally got one like 10 years ago. I had to buy one in a nine. But yeah, I just got, I got into collecting baseball cards like in the early 90s, the boom, the Shaquille O'Neal Gold Card Rookie was like my favorite card. I had like two of those. And yeah, I just really got uh, into going to card shows and the flea markets and uh, collecting my favorite players like Jordan and what have you. And yeah. Now, did you ever take a break? Many of us collectors that collected as a kid, we kind of took a break in our later high school years or college age sure, years, you, 20s. You started liking you started liking girls, you know, you're like, oh, this, uh -huh. we can put the cards aside, right? So, yeah, basically from, I would say, 1995, 96 is when I took a break, when I turned about you know, 14, when I hit puberty or like playing sports and being outside all the time, playing ball and what have you. Um, you know, occasionally I'd buy a pack or two and look for a Kobe Bryant's rookie or what have you. But that I basically took a break from 1996 to 2009. Um, in my, I started playing professional poker in 2005. And in the casino, in Foxwoods Casino, there was a gentleman by the name of Myron Bernstein who was like basically an uncle to me. I love the guy. We, we keep in touch with all the time. He's a huge, huge collector. And he got me kind of back into it. He's like, hey, you know, we, we're speaking about baseball cards. He was the type of guy who would be at the tape, poker table and he would ask everybody while he's playing or he'd talk to somebody, you know, get to know them. Be like, hey, do you have any old, sport, any old uh, sport cards? You know, and he would try to find these like, you know, diamond in the rough or like huge collections that people would have. And he's done a really good job at it. I mean, recently he bought a whole 86 flare basketball set five years ago for $600. And the Jordan out of that graded a nine. And he got he found so many gem in tens and literally like the worst car was an eight. So, yeah. So Myron got me back in in 2009. And then I would say I collected pretty, pretty hard from 2009 to like 12, but in and out and then took a break around 2013 and recently got back into it. I buy a card here and there over the, you know, over the few, over the years from 2013 to like to now. But since this pandemic and this quarantine happened, I think a lot of us are but like, hey, look at my old collection. And that's why I think all these numbers on eBay are just skyrocketing. And it's a seller's game right now, to be honest, you know, I think. Yeah, the the prices have been going going through the roof. So some of that time was when you were actively playing poker. Did you know many other poker players who collected as well? Yeah, a kid of the name of Josh Brickus. He has a, a business called Brickus Breaks, where he okay. puts these wax packs on lines, and you buy a certain share or whatever, and he you get like card number six. I don't know exactly how. I've never participated in some of his breaks, sure. and I've never actually been part of one. I'm sure you have. Uh, you're more knowledgeable than I am on, on that. Now, I understand that you've undertaken quite a vintage project and that you are currently trying to complete an entire 1953 top set. Can you tell yeah. me about what kind of prompted that? It's been a task uh, as well. It's it's a, it's like a it feels like it's been like half a life mission now. Um, yeah. So like I said, going back to the uh, early 90s, 1993 tops came out with a 40 year 1953 anniversary set and. There were also, they put like other players in there. I think there was a, a young lady, Eleanor. She was like one of the best base, lady baseball players ever. That was like, they added her to the set. Cause like they produced, the set was supposed to be from one to 280 and they numbered one to 280. But there were six cards that had to be taken out because of like contract uh, beefs between Bowman and Topps. Okay. So I think they replaced them with a few stars. Like Ted Williams is in the, the reprint set. Hank Aaron and this young lady and a couple other people. But anyways, what prompted it was that I, I just really love that reprint set. And I thought the cards are so beautiful. And having the Beckett going back and seeing some of these, the real cards, which I couldn't afford, obviously, at age 11. 
Right. My dad was never going to give me money. I, I saved money from doing, you know, my paper route and, you know, selling the Grand Hills I got out of uh, out of packs and, and what have you and trading with friends. But I really loved the 1953 set. And then in 2009, when I met Myron, I met Myron in 05. He kind of got me back into it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make, I'm going to like, I'm going to try to complete this. I'm going to, I'm not going to try. I'm going to get all the real 1953 cards. And I decided to do it from a seven to an eight or seven okay. plus. If I got a, if I got a hold of an eight and a half or a nine, obviously I put it in my set. If I could afford it, if it was a right, a good buy at the time or whatever, or I was running well and doing well playing cards and I was just splurge. But I went on eBay and I found like a starter set of sevens. It was like, a, I wouldn't call it a starter set. I'll call it like a small lot, like of, I think maybe 18 different like cheap sevens that I bought for like $20 a piece. So yeah, that's what prompted me to get, that's what got me back into it. And over the years, I think I got about a hundred of them from 2009 to 11. And then since 11 till the quarantine, about another 50. And now in quarantine, I bought around another 60. So okay. I'm, a, I'm about 72 or 73%. And I've registered my set on um, PSA under Survivor Ron. So if you want to check it out, you can check it out. I'm probably like number 50th. My goal is to get in the top 20 sets in the world. And I just love the art. I love the art. Like the, all the guys, like are are kind of painted. It's like painted portraits of everybody, and I just I love it. One of the questions I had was if you were going after it raw or graded or a combination of both. But it sounds like you're going after a, a PSA graded set then. Yeah, I'm going after a PSA graded set. You know, um, I would buy I buy SGC. I'll buy Beckett if I feel like I could convert over or possibly get a higher grade. But, um, you know, I bought a Jackie Robinson Beckett. I have uh, some other, I, I've bought in some raw, I have some raw 53s upstairs as well. Um, but if I can find a good deal uh, at a card show or on eBay or any of these other auctions, I, I pick up in PSA. One of the other questions that I was just curious about too is do you collect much modern stuff too? Or do you collect other sports other than baseball? I know you yeah, said you did as a kid, but currently do you? Currently, I do love um, basketball as well. Um, I'm trying to get my hands on, like, I love Pete Maravich and, you know, old Will Chamberlains and Julius Irvins. Um, I have a decent set of, probably have a, maybe over 100 Jordans that I collected back in the day. Uh, I don't have the 86 Flair rookie, um, yeah. unfortunately. It's on my Mount Rushmore of cards to get as well. I, I hope that at some point I'm able to to track one of those those down. You talked about, though, the the balance of your interest in some of those more modern cards and some of the vintage cards. What is it you think that appeals to you most about vintage cards? For me, it's uh, being able to look at a card that comes from the 50s and be and feel like you're actually back in that time for me. And like I can name all these pre, you know, pre-steroid era. I name all these guys and who they are. And I can I could like I probably can come up with three or four base, base modern baseball players right now. I don't really follow like baseball at the moment, but like for me, this was feels like a like Mickey Mantle, Duke Schneider, you know, uh, like you know all the guys from the past like Satchel Paige and Robinson and Mays. They really encapsulate baseball and it's like best. I don't know. For me, I don't know. It's something weird. It's like nostalgic about old baseball and what it used to be. You know, mm -hmm. like watching the movie like The Sandlot that took place like, you know, in the 60s or 50s or whatever, or yep. a league of their own with Tom Hanks and all these old movies and just Babe Ruth. I, and I, that's a card that I should have. I should have a Gaudi Ruth. I turned away like seven years ago to show that 5X in price. 
so many, so many things I, you know, you, you, you cry about that you had these deals in your hand and you're like, oh, I'll just wait on it. And you had the money and you didn't buy it. But anyways, to answer your question, I just love uh, vintage. I love like the fifties and sixties. Fifties were a great time in America, you know, po you know, post-World War II, things were coming back, you know, women were getting out there. Life was changing as you know it, and it was just a good time in, in the States. Uh, you know, I just, I feel, I've had dreams about being back in the 50s and opening these packs and, and pulling these heroes out of them and uh, being able to collect the sets back then. There seems to be somewhat, especially in this current era that we're in, uh, a growing level of crossover between some DFS players and um, some poker players and some other people in the sports betting world and they're get starting to get into sports cards at least that's what it seems is that something that you, that you've noticed amongst other poker players that or other uh gamblers that you're familiar with yeah and it's pretty surprising like the over the especially the, since this quarantine's happened we're all indoors we're all on twitter and or you know social media and uh, I get surprised every other day learning about a new a, a player that I've known over the years that actually has a collection or collects card. I'm like, like not so surprised, but I'm actually still actively buying and selling. You know, um, my friend Kevin Colenzo has got a decent collection. Uh, a lot of guys like this guy Blake Bowen had a Jordan he was selling online recently that was uh, ungraded. Um, I think, you know, poker players, we love to gamble. We like to invest our money in things that are, you know, we feel like has a, uh, a decent chance of skyrocketing. And I think I'm not surprised a lot of guys who gamble uh, collect sports sports cards anywhere we can see return on investment um we put our money in it's that whole taking a chance see your money grow not know for sure what's going to happen but kind of take a calculated risk into generating an increasing return right that's basically what i want to say thanks for putting the words into my mouth i appreciate you <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty nervous i've never done i've never done a sports cards uh you know, podcast or interview or anything to do with with cards. I feel like I'm a, I'm a baby in this world. So I appreciate you having me on. So I'm kind of a little nervous here. So I'm sorry about that. Oh, no, no worries at all. I mean, that's that's part of why I like having some of these conversations is just get a chance to talk with other collectors that come from all walks of life about their hobby. And we're all in different places um, with our collection, with our collecting background. And it's just fun to hear about other people's stories and, and other people's journeys. One other question on the 53 set. What has been the toughest card for you to get so far? Okay, so what I already have, I would say the Willie Miranda was really one of the toughest cards. I have it here. Um, the, populate, the population on them was extremely low. It's a Dominican guy, one of the first Dominicans to play the game. Um, it's a high number. It's like the third to last card. You see it there. You know, when you look up this card and, and it's not even listed in the PSA book uh, and it's a common, but, you know, um, in the, I think, Beckett Vintage, you can actually see with the, with the like, or, you know, what we go by now is we go on eBay, right? And sure. we look at cards that were last sold for and what they're, what they're pulling. But this card, when I looked up the set and I was doing a lot of research, came up as one of like the top three or four cards that uh, are one of the toughest to get. This one, the Roy McMillan. Um, Willie Mays as well, uh, but I paid I think eleven hundred or eleven fifty for this card. Okay. And if you just looked it up in a book, some guy would be like, "Oh, the seven and a half common. It costs like ninety dollars or what have you." But that's not the case. Um, there's only like I think a hundred of them total, in all grades. No, not a hundred. Maybe a little under two hundred, I believe. I have to look it up. But it's very low pop, uh, especially in higher grade.
So that was a really tough card. One of the other things I wanted to touch on, because I, I can't imagine having a former Survivor contestant on the show without at least touching on Survivor a little bit. And you were on season 39, I believe, right? Which was the season that kicked off in late 2019? Yes, sir. Uh, the premiere was in September of 2019. You know, I only got to play in the game for three days. I was the first boot off of my season, which was uh, hard to deal with. And it was heartbreaking, obviously, at, and at the time. And still pretty much, still pretty fresh. Um, and But, you know, it's been a lot to, to deal with that and that failure. But it's an accomplishment. It is in its own to get on the show. You know, hundreds of thousands of people have auditioned, and only, you know, 500 players have ever played. You know, 500 people have ever played the game. So, what did you do for your audition video? Um, I had it posted. I uh, on on my Twitter actually recently. I'll put it back up there. But I just shot a I shot a, a little film of me like walking around in Venice Beach, talking to people, talking to strangers. I show some of my like out, like my accomplishments in the poker world. You know, winning a bracelet in 2012 and uh, breaking a record of the World Series of Poker, and just show the overall showed my personality and what Survivor wants to see is they want to see you be able to tell a story. They want to see a good talker. They want to see somebody who's animated and out of their mind and basically just an exciting person with an exciting story, right? Yeah. Somebody who has like a you know a background they can speak about and they be able they're able to tell their story. So that's what Survivor is about, which is basically being able to tell what's going around, going on around you. And if you can do that and you have a decent personality and you're in decent shape, you'll uh, have a decent chance. Now, if I understand correctly, you know, you mentioned that you were the, the first person voted out of your season. Um, but if I understand correctly, there, there were some underlying um, medical issues that maybe were contributing to you not being up to a hundred percent as the, as the, the season got started. You, is, would you mind sharing a little bit about what was going on there? Sure. So when I was casted and uh, when I went to finals, I was, you know, perfect, uh, healthy as I always have been. I got casted. But I went through finals. Uh, everything, I was ready to play. And we had about four months. You know, I, I not to sound cocky, I knew they don't tell you right after uh, after finals if you're on or not. But if you get to the last stage, they give you your, um, you know, your, um, your shots. And you have to wait about three months and they usually call you about a month and a half before, you know, you take off and go to Fiji and start filming. So about two months or two and a half months, uh, bef before going out and about a month before I got the phone call, I started getting all these urinary symptoms, uh, and pelvic floor symptoms. So you go to the doctors and, uh, they tell you, you got nothing, you know, infection, nothing's going on. We don't know what's up, but take these antibiotics and, uh, just as a precaution. Um, I listened to them. I took those pills, didn't work out seen numerous around of doctors, told them what, what I was feeling, the symptoms, couldn't figure out. In the process, I was taking tons of pills. You know, I was on my third course of antibiotics within a few months with no present infection or nothing, uh, treating me for prostatitis, treating me for, um, you know, epididymitis, treating me for this, for that. And uh, unfortunately, nothing worked. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I had no new diagnosis. On paper, I'm this healthy as can be. You know, yep. every cat, every scan, every blood test, everything was fine. And I yep. wasn't going to just back out of my dreams and call CBS and say, hey, something's going on. I don't know what it is, but I probably shouldn't play. Right. So I just was so confident and optimistic that, you know, with two and a half months, I was like, oh, something's wrong. I'll figure it out. And as it got closer and closer and closer, I had that same mentality, even like seven days before going out. I was like, all right, we're going to try this new pill that this doctor gave me. It was like my fifth or sixth different pill. 
this should work. I think he knows what it is. Let's take it. And literally, like, was taking it as I was flying out to Fiji. I filled the prescription the day I left for Hollywood to fly out there. Yeah. And when I got out to Fiji and I met Jeff Probst and all the, uh, you know, production again, they could see something was wrong. And they're like, okay, who's, what's going on here? And we spoke about it. And I said, listen, I don't, I don't know, really know what's going on. I'm not feeling that great, but I have these pills I'm trying. I'll be fine. And ultimately, when you're, when you're in tons of pain and you deal with chronic pain and you don't know what's going on, it has a, this, mental to, this mental toll, it takes on you as well. And you start to lose your mind and the fear of not knowing what's up and having this once in a lifetime opportunity. And it was just the worst timing ever. And, um, you know, you're, you, then you play the game, you do all this pregame stuff with media and what have you, you're out there and you're trying to mask the pain, but the pain is so hard. You couldn't even sleep because you're like, you get to sleep in the wild. I and mean, if you watch the vibe, yep. right, you got to build shelter, you got to build bonds and relationships with all these people. And when, when you're, when you're dealing with so much pain, it's really hard to like be yourself, but these people don't know you, who you are. They think this is you, you know? Right. So, oh, it's just, it was kind of like a night. It was kind of like a dream term nightmare, to be honest, in those first few days out there. Um, I didn't get any sleep. My tribe thought I was the weirdest person ever, you know? Um, and ultimately it led me being first off first out, which I still think even if I was portrayed and I was seen is perceived as this crazy weirdo, they should have kept me for my physical strengths because I was a beast in the challenges, even though I was in a lot of pain. Since then though, things are improved, have improved. Yeah. So I got back and obviously my, my, uh, priority was obviously let's figure this out. And I still, I went to the Mayo clinic for, for a week and a half and, um, in Arizona and they couldn't, they just threw more antibiotics at me. Uh, I seen a neurologist, a, I got a colonoscopy. I seen a urologist, um, you know, and they're, and you're obviously an overall like uh, primary doctor that links you and, and figures out what's the plan. And she couldn't figure it out. And they just wanted to give me more antibiotics or more antidepressants to calm the nerves in yeah. that area. And then I found this lady about two months later in Denver that was actually uh, a, a survivor alumni uh, girl from season 36 actually helped me find and she was able to diagnose me with a condition called pudendal neuralgia, which is a nerve condition uh, in the pelvic floor. The nerve runs through your stomach and branches off into your genitalia, into your rectum, into all that area. You have all these nerves that are very delicate and sensitive that run through your stomach into your pelvic floor. And if they're irritated, they can wreak havoc and cause these symptoms that, that, are, that feel like are life-threatening. Okay? And if you look up the condition, it's, it's uh, noticed as one of them, like some of the worst pain you could ever have. And you know, the chronic pain effects and what mental toll takes on your, uh, it's quite debilitating. So it was nice to have a diagnosis. I got some treatment since, um, I've improved about, you know, almost to hundred percent. I would say it's just nice to know that what you don't, what you do have is not going to kill you, but you know, I'm sure if, you know, people who are listening to this can relate in terms of chronic pain, especially where you don't know what's the underlying cause can really take some really serious effect on your mental health as well. I'm glad to hear that you found some treatment that seems to be be working and getting you close to to back to normal. You know, as you were describing some of those sensations, I, I was curious if if cards were on your mind at all in that. I know there are some people when they're dealing with some of those things that are both either 
physical ailments or even mental ailments. There's a lot of collectors who will talk about how spending time going through their cards, you know, looking back at what they've got, tracking things down is, is something that helps provide them some um, a, a mental break or provide them some some comfort through that. I was just curious if did cards at all come up in your life as you were going through that or was that yeah, the last thing on your mind? No, it wasn't the last thing on mind. That's very cool that you brought that up because I think collecting cards is like a break away from a lot of other things. You can, you can take your mind off problems that you're having in your life, either, either you're going through a divorce or if you lose somebody in your life or if like, like before this happened, I was at the clubs all the time. I would go out and play basketball. I work out a ton. And this is kind of like a small mini roadblock in my life. And not even, I wouldn't call it, I'm downplaying when I say mini, it was a pretty huge roadblock. So cards were, a, uh, an escape where I could, you know, going and looking at my collection and being able to buy and get excited when you get the package in the mail, when you make a sale, it really brings you joy instead of not, I don't go to the, I'm not going out nightclubbing. I don't drink anymore since this happened. Right. So I'm like different things. I've kind of exited my life. And now mm -hmm. I think cards are replacing, you know, to go and getting back into the hobby has filled some of the void that I've, I've lost in terms of like partying a bunch or, going out to the bars, going out to the nightclubs, you know, working out six days a week like I used to. I don't anymore. Um, so, you know, sports cards have helped me, have definitely helped fill that and have definitely helped cope with some of these, some of the pain and some of the mental stress, I would say for sure. They brought joy. They bring joy to my life. I love, I love baseball cards. They, they make me smile. You know, I love uh, seeing what cards go off on eBay, the bidding wars, seeing what cards are like blowing up or getting gaining traction, what cards are hot right now because of the last dance or, yep. you know, seeing the mantles just explode over the last few years. It made me smile and cry. Well, thanks a lot for, for coming on is a, I really enjoyed having the conversation. It's like I said before, it's, I enjoy having conversations with collectors from, from all walks of life. And that's part of what I want to do on the show is just, introduce the audience to new collectors that that come from all walks of life collecting all with all different collecting focuses and and i think we we hit on that today and so thanks for doing that i want to give you a chance uh where can people follow you at and and let people know what what they can uh where they can track you down so sure i'm uh at ronnie barda um on twitter um, I'm Ronnie, ba Ronnie underscore Barda on Instagram. That's where I'm mostly active. Uh, you can catch me at once. Uh, hopefully this pandemic, uh, comes to an end with a vaccine or some kind of treatment, uh, hopefully get around it. But if, when that does, you can find me at any casino, uh, mostly the Bellagio in Vegas. I play the limit mix games and some of the bigger, no limit games or find me in LA and, and the certain poker clubs running around. Yeah. Right now I am. I'm a bit in a transition period in life. I did what I had to do in the poker world. I still enjoy playing poker. I still love it. It's one of my passions. But I'm ultimately trying to figure something else out. And like a lot of poker players are now as well, they're trying to, you know, do something else with their lives. If it's opening a business or, you know, my friend Donnie, who set this podcast up and, and reached out to you, said I should get into buying and selling baseball cards at a higher level. Is it an idea? Yeah. Maybe, you know, but uh, I, I love being a collector more per se than somebody who's trying to turn a profit. I sold my first card on eBay though, the other day. There you go. But I'm hoping that I, I hope that I brought uh, enjoyment to people that are listening to this podcast, that people that can relate to me or have some of the same similar stories. And I really, really appreciate you having me on. Thank yeah, you. no problem. I enjoyed it as well. Thanks again. Yeah, and good luck to you in uh, finishing that 69 set. I know you got that Noel Ryan to get. Yeah, that's the last one I got. Is Nolan Ryan's the last one to track down.
And when you're done, you're going to go with 68? Uh, yep, Six, 68 will be next, and the Ryan and that one will be a, the other. That, the that'll other be a tough card to get, yeah, for sure. Yep. Thanks again to Ronnie for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It's not every day you get to hear from somebody who's been on Survivor and has won a World Series of Poker bracelet. And I just really enjoyed hearing the excitement and the passion that he has around tracking down his 1953 set. Well, let me know what you think. Reach out to me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. Send me an email at WaxPackHero at gmail.com. And as always, I'd love if you left a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. I'd really appreciate that. And don't forget to check out the Hobby Hotline live every Saturday morning. It's a call-in show where you, the listener, get to call in and have a conversation with fellow collectors about the cards that you love. Well, that's all I've got for you today. Thanks, and I'll catch you next time.